0: Thank you for joining us for another Creating Dementia Solutions a Miles for Memories program. I'm Richard Pyatt, glad to have you along with us today. We're going to be spending the next four episodes with some special guests talking about dementia research. Joining us today, Dr. Graham Atkin with Michigan State University and Emily Bossy, who will be a doctor one of these days soon. We're gonna talk about a number of aspects of dementia over the next four episodes. But before we do that, I wonder if we might just talk a little bit
1: about what research means at Michigan State, Dr. Atkin. What does that really mean? Sure, so Michigan State University is a land-grant institution, meaning that we operate in in a mission to serve the common good with uncommon will. And there are a number of labs at Michigan State University that are studying Alzheimer's disease and other forms of neurodegeneration, looking at the proteins and molecules that are thought to be involved in this disease and trying to find novel insights and potentially novel solutions to this disease. We are also proud to be part of the Michigan Dementia Coalition, which is a large organization of numerous universities, hospital systems, community partners, all coming together to share resources and insight and to try to find uh, improvements, not only for the lives of those current, currently experiencing Alzheimer's, but also looking forward to a, a brighter future where this disease is not so insurmountable. We are also uh, constantly working, trying to figure out new ways, new and better ways to prepare students uh, like Emily to, to serve these patient populations. And so there's a lot of forward thinking going on at Michigan State University.
0: So when you partner with organizations like Miles for Memories, what does that bring to the table
1: I often feel selfish that we get more out of it than Miles <laughs> from Memories gets out of us. But uh, one of the things that, that it allows us to do is to help keep the most current information here in Calhoun County and make sure folks know what's going on, what's what's coming uh, you know, out of the pipeline as, as soon as it gets here, to provide some counsel on maybe where to invest hope in in one development versus another. In return, we are able to uh, help educate our students with some of the best teachers in the world who are the folks here in Calhoun County who are going to tell you what it's like to live with these diseases and what their experiences are, which I think is such an essential part of preparing physicians for the future. Oftentimes, and Emily can attest, often our students are taught by physicians and scientists, and that's great. But then you're only going to know what the physicians and scientists know. And Mm -hmm. what you need to know also is what the lived experience of these diseases are for people of all backgrounds. So we uh, are really proud to bring our students here to Calhoun County and have them learn from folks. Yeah, Emily, welcome. And talk a little bit about
0: what motivates you in this particular expertise. Yeah, so I'm going into my third year of medical school. Um, I've always had a passion for neurology. Growing up, I always found the brain to be like the most interesting organ to me. We know so much about the brain, but there is still so much to know. And that was one thing that I always found a passion is there's so much room for research. And so during my neurology class, Dr. Adkin was part of our professors and he gave me the opportunity to come and present and create a presentation for Miles for Memories. And I did that two years in a row and I was able to come and listen to um these patients and these people in the community that are living with this. And someone told me that the best teacher we're ever going to have is our own patients. And I think this Mm -hmm. is 100% true. And so I'm very honored to continue to learn from these people around us and excited to learn some new things myself. Well, appreciate that perspective from both of you on, on all of that. In this particular segment, we're going to talk a little bit about things that that look like dementia, but really aren't. This is really interesting, Dr. Atkin. What does this really mean? That we've been
1: conditioned to look for things that might make us think that's what's happening, but it might not be. Yes, and it's important to note that many of these things I'm going to talk about are treatable, which is great, that there are relatively easy fixes for these things. So it's important that that folks are aware of these things. And if their doctor isn't screening them for these things ahead of time, that should be a a point of concern for them. So Hmm. we can talk about a couple of these things. I think it might be helpful to start by just saying when we when we say dementia what do we mean and so dementia is a uh, reduction in cognitive function that is persistent or progressive meaning it's it's there for a long time and it it might get worse and that reduction in cognitive function can include things like memory thinking like puzzle solving executive thinking and personality any of those things can be a form of dementia But there are many things that can cause a similar reduction in cognitive function uh, that you might not think about. So one of the most common of these is a medication side effect. And this can mean a side effect of a single medication or of the combination of medications you might be taking. So, for example, Mm -hmm. medications that might help you sleep or might help you deal with allergies can cause a reduction in that cognitive function, make it hard to think, hard to remember, might change your personality. And we wouldn't think of that as dementia. It's a medication side effect. The good news is, hopefully... That medication can be changed, replaced, the dosage can be adjusted, and those dementia-like symptoms can be ameliorated. When you get into medication combinations, oftentimes people people will receive care at different places. Maybe you went to the emergency room one time, urgent care another time, your primary care doc another time, and they might have given you different medications and might not have had the full perspective of everything you're taking. So now some combination of those medications is causing this side effect where you have some fogginess in your thinking or having trouble remembering. And again, uh, doing sort of a a reclamation of your medications, your doctor going through and saying, okay, tell me everything you're taking in what dosage and how often they can look for those problem areas. And again, hopefully uh, fix that by changing medications. I assume that uh, a tip-off in that case would be a recent change. Yes. So keeping track of when did you start taking this thing and when did you start having these symptoms is a a good thing to do. Um, Another uh, common one is changes to your sleep. So one of the first things that a good neurologist should do when you are concerned about dementia is look for things like sleep apnea. So changes in the quality of your sleep, the length of your sleep, the frequency of your sleep. Uh, As we all know, you don't get enough sleep in the morning, you're kind of groggy, magnify that over a long period of time, and you're seeing dementia-like symptoms that are resulting from sleep and not from what we would think of as formal dementia. Hmm. Again, the good thing is... You get a CPAP machine, within a week or two, that should be ameliorated. You know, maybe it's a sleep hygiene issue that, that where you're sleeping isn't conducive to sleeping. All of these things can be worked on and can help restore that, that cognitive function. Uh, another common one would be a nutritional issue. So for example, if you are deficient in vitamin B12 or you are deficient in sodium, your brain needs certain uh, nutrients to function correctly. It needs a proper electrolyte balance. And losing either B12 or sodium can create these dementia-like presentations. I am one of the faculty advisors for a program at MSU that provides medical care to people experiencing homelessness, and we had a patient who had what's called hyponatremia, so his sodium levels were too low, and he fit the textbook definition of this looks like Alzheimer's But we looked at what sort of uh, nutrients is he getting, how much fluid is he intaking, and the better explanation was this is a hyponatremia situation, which could be fixed by, you know, getting him proper electrolytes, and then he's back to normal cognitive function. There are other things like environmental exposures to pesticides or industrial solvents, uh, certain forms of cancer, certainly cerebrovascular issues can cause dementia-like symptoms. And then there's one more that I I think should be talked about, which is a thing called pseudo dementia. So pseudo dementia looks like dementia, feels like dementia, but it is the result of neuropsychiatric issues. So severe depression, anxiety, things like that can cause a person to have trouble organizing their thoughts. Their personality can change. Their memory can change. And, again, there are treatments uh, that can be explored for a person who's experiencing those psychiatric issues, but not if they aren't caught. And so if immediately think, oh, this is dementia and I've got Alzheimer's, one that can add to your anxiety and reinforce the, the problematic situation. Sure. Uh, But also, you know, there is there is help available for those things. Boy, these are a lot of check steps that you have to take
0: when someone's first visiting with you or a doctor to be evaluated for this. I also think some of the things you talked about, anxiety and and things of that nature, boy, trying to uncover those Mm -hmm. and then address the root causes of that.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you get through that? Yeah, there's so much stigma still around seeking mental health care. And I think that that's part of it is sharing with people how you are feeling and having a good relationship with a physician like, you know, how Emily is going to be, somebody that you trust, somebody that you feel comfortable sharing these things with so that they can start to put together a pattern and think, okay, we're seeing this symptom. What might be the cause? We always teach our students about sort of root cause analysis, getting to why is this symptom presenting what might be going on? And and if your doctor isn't doing that, then maybe it's time to look for a different doctor. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so you get through all of these check steps, mm-hmm. and then there's probably more evaluation that has to take place. There are. So one of the things that needs to be screened for is a thing called delirium, which is different from dementia. So delirium is a more acute onset, meaning it, it comes on more suddenly. And it's a big change in, uh, again, cognitive function, personality, memory, that sort of thing. But delirium can result from things like dehydration or if you have an active infection, like a respiratory infection or a urinary tract infection. And delirium can involve, again, the changes in your personality. You'll often hear people telling these very sort of fantastical stories, these confabulations, they're called. Delirium, uh, again, comes on more acutely and can be treated. But to the layperson, it might look like, oh, that person's had dementia and how terrible. But really, it's this acute cause that just needs to get fixed. Mm -hmm. So that's another screen. Then for the purposes of there is no test that can be given that says you conclusively have a thing like Alzheimer's disease. So there are multiple tests that will be done to try to build a case, m- multiple lines of evidence. One of those are brain scans to look at the amount of buildup of the proteins that we associate with Alzheimer's disease. So you've heard about amyloid beta and tau, looking for those things. Looking for other causes. You know, doing a brain scan, saying is there brain swelling, is there brain bleeding, all of these things that can present a dementia-like presentation. There's so a lot of checking that has to be done before you say this is a probable case of Alzheimer's
0: disease. So if there's a bottom line in this discussion, it is potentially
1: make sure you have a medical professional who's covering all these bases. Absolutely. And don't jump to the conclusion that you have dementia because that can cause all this anxiety and fear and stress that might not be appropriate because actually it's just that you're B12 deficient or you need to get better sleep. Mm -hmm. So avoid that. I, I think that the fear and anxiety... Uh, is a big part of this disease that doesn't get talked about enough. And, and you know, people will ask, I misplaced my car keys, does that mean that I have dementia? Oh, I'm, I'm you know, worried that I'm having this stuff. And, and so I'll mention that even at the earliest stages, when you're beginning to notice, hey, I'm misplacing my car keys a lot, the simplest explanation is that attention is needed to make memories. And nowadays, everybody's so busy. You've got a million things going on. Your phone is going off. The doorbell's ringing. The dog's barking, et cetera. If your attention is split, you're not going to make that memory about where you put the car keys. Right. And so it's fine. Don't worry about it. You're just busy. If you find that when you pay attention, when you've silenced all the other distractions and you still can't remember the basic stuff, then maybe it's time to start talking to a doctor. Similarly, if you have been feeling really anxious or really tired, uh, that's also a factor and then, you know I often hear folks say, "Well, I can't I used to know all this stuff, and nowadays I can't remember who my second grade teacher was or whatever. There is normal transience of memory in age. you're not going to remember everything. You used to know everything because you only knew three things. Now you know a million things, and it's impossible to hold on to all of them, so your brain is making decisions about which information is it going to prioritize. So if you can't remember the kid who sat next to you in second grade math, that's probably okay. <laughs> if you start to forget the names of your children or things that you think are really high value information, then time to start talking to somebody and at that point you begin with your general practitioner is that the first yes. place yeah so i would start with your general practitioner uh, again make sure it's somebody that you trust and then there are dementia specialists they are fewer in number than i would like uh, but there are dementia specialists so you sort of get uh, moved up the chain so to speak to to say okay there we your general practitioner can say you know we think there's something going on here we'd like you to see a dementia specialist the timeline for seeing that person might be long. These, these folks book out quite a way in advance because there's so few of them. But, you know, keep a, a journal of what's happening, you know, check in with your loved ones. They can help inform you of, of what's going on with you. And then seeing that dementia specialist will hopefully get you the more uh, specific tests and more extensive tests to figure all this stuff out. All right. Well, this is just the first of a few conversations
0: we'll have about various aspects of dementia and Alzheimer's in particular, Dr. Graham Atkin and Emily Bossy. Thank you. We'll be back again soon. Thank you. I'm Richard Pyatt. Don't forget, follow the Miles for Memories Facebook page so that you can be alerted when these new Creating Dementia Solutions episodes become active and check the Miles for Memories website too for events, information, and more. Thanks for being with us.